The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee on the desk tonight to break down all of today's market action. Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, Tim Seymour, and Jeff Mills. Let's get right to it. Stocks plunging across the board today with the Dow down more than 1,100 points. It's worst loss since June 2020. The NASDAQ down nearly 5%. The consumer sector seeing the most pain. Target, of course, dropping nearly 25%, losing a quarter of its value in a single day, marking its worst day since October 19, 1987. Remember that date? Black Monday. And over the last two days, Walmart has lost 17 percent, nearly a fifth of its value. But fear gripping all parts of the market. Take a look at big cap tech, for instance. Apple dropping more than five and a half percent, cutting $136 billion from its market cap. Amazon down more than 7 percent. It is just a stone's throw away from leaving the trillion dollar club. So does today's broad market sell off show just how vulnerable the markets are and maybe how vulnerable the consumer is. But let's talk about this. I mean, when we're talking about the biggest drops since Black Monday, Brian Kelly, does this make sense given what we are being told about the economy, the consumer being strong, balance sheets in great shape, job market strong, wage growth uh, is right. there? Right. But the market is telling you that that's going to change. Right. So these though, everything you just mentioned are backward looking indicators. Now the market's saying, hey, wait a second. We've got and, and look at what what people blame, what these earnings were blamed on. OK, they're blamed on supply chain issues from China. They're blamed on the war in Ukraine. I haven't seen a single company come out and say, you know what? The Fed's raising rates. That's actually hurting the consumer at this point in time. So we haven't even had quantitative tightening or anything like that. And that's what the market pricing in right now is some kind of a hard landing. They've thrown out the idea that you're going to have a soft or softish hard landing. The market's pricing in that uh, softish landing. Market's pricing in a hard landing. These are extraordinarily moves. I mean, for Target to be down 25 percent is extraordinary. I mean, people say Bitcoin's too volatile to be an to be an investment. This is unbelievable to see this happen. So, so a couple of things. I, I think the system is broke. I, I, I don't think that's an uh, that, that's an overstatement. You, you don't have things move the way they're moving now. The system is broke. I don't know where the liquidity is, but that's gone. Now, the balance sheet, to PK's point, no one's talking about that. So how can you have an end or a bottom without that discussion? The Fed's China, balance sheet. The Fed's balance sheet. Yeah, it, and, and mine, by the way. <laughs> so, so how can you have, so China is unresolved, Ukraine unresolved, balance sheet not even discussed. Can't talk about a bottom yet. And then, of course, as Brian Kelly had mentioned, the impact on the consumer of higher rates. We don't know if that's actually flowed through yet to them and impacted them, uh, Tim. You were standing by Walmart yesterday, and I'm wondering if you think that this is a bigger retail problem given what we've seen today. 
Well, the, 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 the dynamic around margins is something. We've heard this now from Target and, mm-hmm. and Walmart that they, they couldn't move prices up fast enough, that they, the gross margin is an issue. Uh, you know, the great irony is, of course, that TJ Maxx did the exact opposite today, and that stock was up 9%. Uh, in fact, they had lower top line and they had great margins. So uh, we just don't know where the consumer is. We know that the, the, the share of the wallet shifted. We heard that from Brian Cornell. We have a dynamic where we know gas prices are at all-time highs. We don't know where the consumer is going to be, really, in 100 to 250 basis points. All the market arguably has done to this point is really price stocks in an environment where rates are lower and mechanically just say, what are we willing to pay? That that was with the consumer held constant uh, and with companies' businesses held constant. And that's today what's shocking, that, that Walmart and Target could be treated like Zoom and DocuSign. Um, but I said this yesterday, and it, it is as if uh, these earnings were more important than Apple and Microsoft because we did need to get some insight into the consumer. I'll just say this, that, that maybe some solace uh, it doesn't really tell us where we're going to go in the markets. But we came into today having rallied almost 6% on the S&P in three and a half days. I mean, you know, this is a... a, a environment where we've had these kinds of rallies and we've had these kinds of uh, complete and utter kind of devastation washout days. Uh, and this washout day still, uh, you know, has you, the S&P didn't go through the intraday low of last Thursday. It did close at a 14-month low. Um, and I think that's part of how you have to drop this into the perspective. I think we're going lower. Um, but again, we had had a massive rally coming into this. Yeah. I mean, t- the volatility has absolutely spiked in a single day, Jeff Mills. But to Tim's point, in terms of this this violent churning that we're seeing in the markets, that also cannot have a good impact on the consumer. A consumer who, you know, they'll flip open the page of USA Today and they'll say Dow plunges more than 1,100 points and they won't feel as rich as they did yesterday. Yeah, sure. There, there's absolutely a psychological effect, no question about it. But I think there's also a, a fundamental effect going on. And I mentioned this yesterday, but you know the stock market was up quite a bit. But once again, you saw high yield credit spreads widen out. So anytime we see a rally in stocks, you know, if, if credit continues to deteriorate, that's telling us something. And I know we've been all we've all been looking at this shiny object over to the side, big cap tech, and it's very important. In fact, that caused a lot of the move lower in the S&P 500 today, you know, Apple, Tesla, et cetera, breaking down. We've said that's important and it is. Uh, but at the same time, kind of over here where nobody's looking have been the rails, you know, the UNPs, the CSXs. Uh, you're starting to see moves in industrials. These names are breaking down, telling you that there's something going on fundamentally with the economy. So avoiding cyclicality has been something I think I've been saying for a few weeks now. And you're starting to see commentary in earnings calls. And you have for a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, B of A mentioned that mentioning weak demand in earnings calls. We've seen that the most since 2020. Uh, and, and we have slowing wage growth, at least signs of that. With the inflation we currently have, that means lower purchasing power. And I think we're starting to see that in credit markets. You know, Consumers have binged on credit the past month or so. That's not necessarily a good thing. So this whole market has been multiple compression. We haven't seen the demand hit. We haven't seen the earnings hit. So if that's the next shoe to drop, And I think maybe those growth areas where the multiples have re-rated, where earnings may be more insulated from a slowdown in the economy, might be where you want to be right now versus some of the more cyclical areas where you could see an impact on earnings. You want the good news? The good news. I mean, we've been pretty gloomy, right? But the good news is we are starting to actually price this in. So the things that I've been worried about are earnings estimates haven't come down. Strategists haven't reduced their year-end targets, those type of things. These type of moves and these earnings misses are the type of things where you have to adjust that. So the good news is that's one part of a bottoming process. 
To me, the next part, and for us to get a real solid bottom, you need the housing market to crack. The Fed talked about it this week. Once you see that, and maybe it happens as soon as June, then you probably have something of, at the very least, a very tradable bottom. You you need demand destruction. You need, what does that mean? That means, to me, a recession. So I don't know why. Wait, why does it have to be a recession? Why can't it just be grit in the wheels of the economy as opposed to a full stop on that wheel? Because 80 percent of the times that the Fed has done this, there's been a recession. I could be light on that on that percentage, by the way. So they just don't do the soft landing well. It's just not possible at this point. And we're so far ahead of our skis that you need to really chop it. There's got to be a lot of grit in those gears. Okay, can I get a four box? I want to take a poll here. Do you guys think that it is inevitable that we hit a hard landing? Well, I'm going to raise I'm, your hand. I'm going to raise we'll my hand. But, no, but, you say, but the way you I mean, worded that, Your Honor, I mean, or, or, or counsel, I'll go, I, you know what, for the, for the sake of the show, I will do that. Inevitable, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's a tough word. The most likely, likely, out, most most likely, likely outcome, outcome is going okay, to be a recession. 50%. All right, yes. Jeff Mills, please be our ray of sunshine here and tell us why a softer, soft-ish, <laughs> in the words of Jerome Powell landing, is possible. Okay, so I think the the soft landing scenario obviously hinges on inflation. And there are some signs, and I think this is starting to become consensus. I don't know whether that's good or bad, but that inflation is peaking, right? So you've seen wage growth come down a little bit. If you look at some of the trucking indicators, they're coming down a little bit. So if we see inflation move low enough, fast enough, that the Fed feels like it can maintain its credibility and back off its current path, that's the soft landing scenario. But to Steve's point, Interest rates are a blunt force tool, and they also operate with a lag. So the Fed is not turning a dial with precision. Uh, They're sort of feeling around in the dark, trying to destroy enough demand to get inflation under control. And that's a very hard thing to do. Let me just quickly mention it because I, I did put together a chart. It's actually from Piper Sandler. But everybody's wondering, where is the Fed put? Is there still a Fed put? And we talked about earnings. So historically, the Fed does not react to multiple compression. And that's what we've been seeing in the market. So I think there probably is a Fed put, but I think the strike price is a lot lower than it's been in the past. And what we're going to need to see, to BK's point, is earnings come down. If you look at the one chart, the correlation between the Fed funds rate and year-over-year earnings growth is very tight. So ultimately, once we see that earnings growth start to slow, that's when we can maybe hope to see the Fed step in. But until then... I think it's going to be difficult. I love this peak inflation consensus theory because peak is great, but if inflation stays high, that's still a drag on the consumer, um, and it could it could mean a more uh, permanent shift, as Tim had mentioned, in in the type of spending the consumer is doing at a target, which is a lower margin shift in spending to food, uh, et cetera. Did you see what the what Pioneer said in their earnings call today, Tim, about oil prices? For several years, they expect oil to remain at $100 a barrel for several years. If they are half right on that in terms of half of several, that's a long time for energy prices to remain elevated, which flows through all sorts. I mean, Walmart and Target talked about the impact of energy prices on their costs of doing business. 
Well, I, I tell you what, I, I, I do think we're going to see oil prices that much higher. I've talked about a lack of investment. Some of this is structural. Some of this is the dynamics that we have with geopolitics. Some of this is, is current policy. Um, but, but look, and the problem with is, is that gas at five bucks a gallon or six bucks a gallon uh, is different than oil. We have dynamics within the gas industry that have gas prices significantly higher relative to oil prices. And that's the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. That will be demand destruction. Uh, whereas I don't think $100, $100 oil is necessarily equals demand destruction. Uh, I think the, the dynamic that we're having in this conversation about what's a hard landing, it's all relative to, to where the Fed was and where the balance sheet was and, and, and truly where we were in terms of accommodation. I, 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 I am one that says give us a deep and severe uh, pullback, at least in, in the economy, to, to counterbalance this dynamic. What I don't feel comfortable about is Powell yesterday pointing out that we will go until we feel um, inflation is at a place uh, where we're comfortable and, and where we've gotten to neutral dynamics. And you know this is the same Fed that in November told you that there was no inflation and that they hadn't hit their 2% target yet. So these are the big issues. I think right. back to the market, the thing that's, that's the critical thing is, is that you're starting to see the S&P actually underperform technology. And, and that's the place that on some level we all kind of wanted to get to. The S&P's underperformed uh, the SMH or the semiconductors by about 5% over the last month. Now, did we think that was going to happen? Uh, you know, when you think about the cyclicality in semiconductors. Yeah. So, I, you know what, the, the, this peak inflation to me, it sounds, I, I don't know, maybe inflation has peaked, but be careful what you wish for, because we're starting to see that if inflation has peaked, the supply side hasn't changed. So that means the demand side is changing. And so if you're getting peak inflation, it means the consumer is done for the time being. So I don't know why you would buy the stock market on the idea that inflation has peaked out when you know that that means there's no demand and earnings are going lower. I I just think that we're starting to see, you you called it yesterday, whether we're looking at retail sales or looking at the individual companies that are reporting. Retail sales should be the leading indicator, not the individual companies. So a part of me that wants to be rosy and have a little bit of a, a, a halo here is that I think that companies are kitchen sinking it now. I think you're starting to see that little bit of, let's throw everything out, let's blame it all on, uh, on everything that we're going through presently. Then shouldn't they next have said should something be to the effect of, we don't know what the impact of the cons- on the consumer will be of rising interest rates? That I mean, that is something that we have not yet seen uh, from these companies. And I, you, know, you wonder if they're actually kitchen sinking it, why wouldn't you throw that out there? Why not? I mean, on a day you're going to lose a quarter of your market value, Tim, why put that out there, too, instead of saying, actually, in the past few weeks, the consumer has remain, you know, has been relatively strong. Look, I, I think Brian Cornell did that on our network. And, and I, I, I think on some level what we're doing here is we're, we're losing the trees in the forest. We know the consumer uh, is in a decent place now and set up for a lot of bad things ahead. We say this every night. We know there's full employment. We know there's been wage growth. We know that, that the balance sheet looks okay, that there have been cost savings. But guess what? Um, this is not not even close to where we're going to be at some point. So, again, yes, I, I do think, and I believe this, I, I think these, these stocks were overly punished. I know you have a case where uh, Target really disappointed on their gross margin. It was supposed to be 8.9. It came in at 5.9. The, the general merchandise, especially big ticket items. By the way, look out for you know Best Buy uh, coming up. I mean, what you heard out of Target today does not bode well, and that's why we saw uh, other parts of, of at least you know, discretionary and specialized apparel, uh, specialized retail 
begin to sell off. So I do think we have a case where uh, I, look, I think this was an overreaction. It doesn't mean you have to go out and buy these stocks today. I think the, the great irony, of course, is that Target and Walmart and Costco are supposed to be defensive here. Consumer staples led the move down because they were supposed to be defensive and, and we were thought uh, or we were made to believe today that they weren't. But again, this was a forest over the trees dynamic today. I think the trees are OK. Um, but which trees do you stick by in an environment where trees <laughs> get cut down so easily? The trees that you thought would grow to the sky and thrive, Tim. And I'm talking about, you know, the staples like a Target and a Walmart, but also, Jeff, you know, to your point earlier, the big cap tech names where you would see more secular growth as opposed, as opposed to cyclical growth, they are being cut down as well. So if you're an investor at home today, on a day like today, you're thinking, what trees will actually survive? And I'm, I'm just losing my place in this metaphor. But survive the chainsaw that could be coming in the form of higher rates or a recession. Yeah, so, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate what I've said in the past. And to BK's point, you know, I think the inflation rolling over narrative is about, number one, inventories. We've talked about this time and time again. We've seen these huge inventory builds. We, we could have seen this coming, right? Target, Home Depot, huge inventory builds. And then you're going to see the demand destruction on the other side. So where haven't we seen multiples re-rate as much? Where might there be more earnings risk? That's in the cyclical side of things. You know, I, of course, things can get ugly on the growth side. But when I think about, you know, a Facebook or an AMD or some of these companies where you've seen a massive re-rating in multiples and more or less their earnings are going to be insulated, at least to a degree when compared to some of those other areas of the market. So you might have to endure some pain. But in figuring out what trees we want to climb, I still think it is the growth area of the market now because you've seen the multiples re-rate and the earnings are vulnerable, but less so. All right, coming up, more trees. No. <laughs> We've got more on today's brutal sell-off. The Dow dropping more than 1,100 points, and we are homing in on the energy space as gas prices continue to surge. The details ahead. But first, we've got some after-hours mover shares of Cisco plunging after a earnings report. We'll bring you the details next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Cisco. Shares plummeting after the company reported a beat on earnings, but a miss on revenues. Let's get to Frank Holland with the details. Frank. Well, Melissa, the big story here is Cisco guiding for a revenue decline in Q4 of 1 to 5%, a 1 to 5% decline. 
well below the 5.7% increase the street was forecasting on the call just a short time ago. It's going on right now. Chuck Robbins saying COVID has changed everything that customers think about technology. Robbins also citing geopolitical headwinds saying COVID lockdowns in China and the war in Ukraine impacted the revenue in the quarter. Robbins saying the company's redesigning more than 100 products because of China's supply chain issues. And those issues cost the company about 300 million in the quarter. Those Asian issues halting sales in Russia also cost the company about 200 million by region. Sales in Europe and Asia down 6%, while they rose 5% in the, in, in the Americas, where Cisco gets just about 60% of revenue. Gross margin did come in line with estimates despite those supply chain challenges The Cisco expects to last through the next quarter. And tomorrow, CEO Chuck Robbins will appear on Squawk on the Street to discuss the report and what it means for global IT spending. Melissa, back over to you. Frank, thank you. Frank Holland, that seems like a massive swing in terms of what they expect and what the street was expecting Tim Seymour, not what you want to hear in this market environment. No, and I, I feel like uh, as a shareholder, this is something I'm saying often. I'm trying to defend, you know, in this case, Chuck Robbins. He said this is not a demand issue. He said there's a couple hundred million in, in, in China related getting supplies and equipment out of there. There's a $300 million uh, issue out of Russia. And otherwise, you know, here's where we are. And if look, it, what's interesting here is, is, again, miss on the top line, beat on the bottom line, opposite from what the other folks did today. And yet the stock getting punished. And again, they're getting punished on a full year guide cut and EPS cut. Uh, EPS cut that I think they cut by about 3%. Uh, and, and I think if you, you know, look at where the street is, um, you know, they're probably even a little more conservative than that. So uh, look, terrible numbers, especially for a mega cap tech company that had been defensive relative to the group. And if you look at uh, you know, where people are positioned on this one, um, I think you know, hearing anything about enterprise demand would have been catastrophic. And, and Chuck Robbins is standing in the pocket right now while it's collapsing and saying that's not the issue. Yeah. And by the way, the reasons for the drop in forecasts are things that you can't necessarily forecast. I mean, China COVID lockdowns, the war in Ukraine. I mean, you just don't know what the end is for these two issues, BK. So believing even that forecast, I mean, it could be there could be upside to it, but there could also be more downside. Absolutely. We don't know. We don't know how long China is going to be locked down. I've been of the view that they can't lock people down for too long. But you saw today that many of the Chinese uh, uh, mobile phone makers are cutting production by 20 percent because the China lockdown is creating problems. So it is just this massive amount of uncertainty. And when it comes to Cisco, Tim pointed it out, is that this wasn't a margin issue. This was a revenue issue. So this is very different. This is something that, you know, it's it's not something that you can fix with financial engineering. This is a, a structural issue that's going on globally. And I think you can probably extrapolate this to other tech companies. And it's why things are just getting destroyed in the market right now. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with that, Jeff Mills, in terms of how this is a read through. Cisco's quarter also is a little bit different from from other quarters. It ends a little bit later. So we're getting a, a better sort of more real time view, if you will, of, of where things stand. Um, it'll also be interesting to see the impact of the dollar. I mean, I, I don't know if we've heard that yet from Cisco's conference call, but um, that's something to look look for from these companies. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I don't know we've heard about currency issues a lot in earnings yet, but you know, maybe, maybe we will. And I think this is just indicative of the fact that, look, you have a company like Cisco with a valuation right around the long-term average. So not particularly expensive, but not cheap yet, even given the move of, of the stock. And you know, I think that any sort of re- reduction in expectations in the market that we're in, this is what you end up with. But 
just to maybe put a silver lining on it. And Tim sort of mentioned it, but demand wasn't all bad. You saw product orders up, I think, 8% year over year. Recurring revenue continues to increase. I think it was up 11% or so year over year. So as that business mix starts to shift away from hardware a little bit, um, you know, maybe that's some good news. Uh, and I know that support in this kind of market is, is a lot less important than resistance, but the stock has showed some reasonable support in that 40 to $45 range. That's where we are now. So let's see how the stock reacts tomorrow. So th- just to put some technicals on, on this really quickly, Cisco is trading right around where it was trading February 2020, before we took the nosedive to the March lows. Would you argue, and, and, and people have argued this on the desk, that the world is in a worse place for Cisco now? Yes. Sounds like it is. So that's no longer support, to Jeff's point. So where support is, you're going to have to navigate that. The March lows were high 30s, mid to high 30s. So you're going to have to take a look at Cisco and say, what, are their, what does their future look like? And what does the current look like and how much worse was it then? Tim, it looks like you're really thinking of a huge, uh, I mean, it looks like you're going to disagree with Grasso. Well, I'm trying to think in trees and forests right now, and I'm not going to come up with anything (laughs) good for the benefit of our audience. Um, I'll say this. I think Cisco is a different company in the last two years. I think they have a software business and a security business that's much higher margin, much higher recurring revenue. This is a company that's somewhat in transition, even though I don't say it was a broken company. Uh, And when I think about the enterprise upgrade and what I'm hearing from corporate America, uh, everything we sold off today was the consumer. Uh, We're not necessarily selling off Cisco's core business. So uh, I'd rather own the company today. It's a cheaper company today. Trades at 14 times next year. So that's my pushback. It's it's not that I, I, I don't think we have a discussion about our, our companies better than they were pre-COVID or we look at the charts. I just think that this is a case where uh, this is a this is a company. There's a bottom up story that I think is actually in a better position than they were uh, two years ago. All right. Coming up, oil taking a hit in today's big sell-off crude dropping nearly 3 percent, even as gas prices continue to rise. Our next guest says there could be some relief on the way. More on that next. Plus, retail deep in the red today as earnings continue to roll in. So we are checking in on the options pits to see how traders are playing this move. we got the details next. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The price of crude oil collapsing today as U.S. refiners ramped up output. But the pain at the pump continues as the average price of gas rose to a record 4.56 a gallon, according to AAA. And prices driving even higher in California, the first state to ever record an average gasoline price 
of six bucks a gallon. So how long can these inflation pressures last? Let's bring in Ed Morse, City's Managing Director and Global Head of Commodity Research. Ed, do you think there's some relief in sight before the summer ends? I do, absolutely. And I, I, I would note that uh, while we had pump prices going up, we had the screen price going down today. Uh, and I think that we're going to see more m- momentum with more red numbers on the print every day. Uh, and uh, I think the summer we'll see a lot of relief. How much relief um, are we talking about? And, and is part of the dynamic that, you know, at six bucks a gallon in California and, and four, more than four bucks everywhere else in the country, that there is some demand destruction going on? There's demand destruction going on, and there's more supply in the market than people have been thinking, and more supply of gasoline coming. Asian, Asian refiners, Indian refiners are now starting to export gasoline to the U.S. market, and we'll see a lot more of that happening. But really, it's the crude price. If we look at supply and demand balances, and we saw crude sell off to uh, $109 today, uh, we expect prices this quarter to average 99 a good $10 below where they are. And that's because we think that the, the price drops will be considerable by the time we get to the end of June. And then when we get into the, the July-August market, even though it's a higher market for summer driving, uh, we think the supply-demand balance will bring the price of crude down to the, to the lower 90s by the end of the summer and then, uh, and then to the under 80 by the year end. You get a drop in prices of, of crude by 20%. That should translate into a 20% more or less drop um, in the price of gasoline at the pump, uh, along with it with a bit of a lag. Hey, Ed, it's Brian Kelly. So I'm curious where the disconnect is between your forecast and some of the producers like Pioneer saying for years you're going to have $100 barrel oil. They seem to be, they're, they're, they're the ones pumping it out and they're on the front lines. What are you seeing that they're not? Well, I, you know, I hate to pick on a company, whether it's Pioneer or some other company. They, If you look at the, the spread of forecasts across companies, take the majors, they're all up, a, a lot lower than where the one independent company is that you were saying. Nobody knows what the future is. We, we do know that the forward curve, at least directionally, is a pretty good indication. And the forward curve is going down in a very strong, back, strongly backward-dated market, which would indicate that something is lifting the front price that's temporary and not, and not a good indicator with where the prices are going ahead. So, Ed, I've seen that in the uh, pre-interview notes, you, you think the macro economy is getting worse or more gloomy every week. That's your word, gloomy. And so I'm wondering what your outlook is for, for some of the metals, particularly industrial metals at this point. Obviously, there's a supply side element and a demand side element. You think the demand side might abate. What, what happens to the other side? Uh, well, the supply side is going to respond in kind. We have a bit of noise in the metals markets because of so many metals being tied to exports from the uh, from from Russia but uh, if you look at China the world's largest consumer of uh, of metals and you look at uh, the most robust forecasts of growth in China uh, picking up from where th- things are now we're, we're looking at an inventory build uh, certainly th- through halfway through the year and then and th- and then then who knows so you know we've got uh, we've got q2 prices now uh, at a level uh, that is lower than we, we thought they were going to be. We think that's going to uh, continue on uh, into the fourth quarter. Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit of a boost in aluminum from uh, $2,800 a ton to $3,200 a ton. Uh, copper, we think, is going to you know stand still. Definitely on the nickel side, we think that the, that incredible artificial run-up to $110 a thousand dollars a ton uh, now trading at around twenty six thousand not 
spike back to the 22,000 we are at the beginning of the year. We think by the end of the year, we'll see that further erode so that nickel will be pricing back down at that same uh, $22,000 ton level. And uh, zinc, which has been, you know, especially tight in that uh, energy intensive industries and uh, zinc smelting in Europe have shut down. Uh, but we think uh, zinc will be short term, uh, not going very far, ending the, the, ending the year a little bit lower than it currently is and ending next year or next year at this time, uh, about 10% lower than it currently is. All right. Ed, thanks for sharing your forecast with us. We appreciate it. Ed Morse of City. Jeff, where do you want to go in this trade in terms of energy or, or metals? Yeah, I mean, let's let's look at energy for a second, just because, number one, it's been consensus for so long, and it's probably still overbought. So look at a name like Chevron, for example, still trading 26% above its 200-day moving average. But I'm still in the camp that you want to buy weakness there. I mean, I'm not a commodity expert, but... You know, I, I was under the impression that heading into this year, spare capacity was very low. Uh, and now the situation with Russia has made that worse. So my guess is, you know, even if prices are 90, 95, 100, 110, you know, these are still levels where a lot of these companies are quite profitable. And you could make the argument that Chevron's at an all-time high or near an all-time high, but it's still only trading at 11 times forward. So, you know, there's value in these names, technically overbought, but by the weakness, because I, I do think that there's more room there. I feel like you have to sort of I agree partially with what Jeff's saying, but I think that you have to sell them at this level. Ed's talking about less than $80 a barrel. Well, you're Mr. Your recession, end. so obviously you've got to sell all And this. I also think that oil is going to be at $65, so that's less than $80. So I'm in agreement with Ed. Um, but having said that, you haven't been rewarded. Look at the XLE. Up 47% year to date. You have not been rewarded by buying individual names. It's not worth the risk. So if you think energy is going higher, stay with the XLE. If you think like Ed does and I do, and I don't want to speak for him like I do, I think you want to be selling these names that have rocketed higher. It's been all about positioning, being all offsides. Tim, what would Tim do? Tim's going to be buying energy. Well, Tim, Tim, is, Tim has been investing in resource and energy stocks much of his career because that's a core part of the, the, the market cap in places where I've, I've made a living. I, I actually think that energy is now an investment, not a trade. And I actually think you don't need $120 energy. In fact, you, you probably don't want it if you're one of the producers. They're, 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 they're break even at 45. Uh, we talk about the free cash flow dynamics. I, I think the entire commodity space also, we should not blanket it. I actually think steel prices are coming down. I actually don't want to own steel companies here. Uh, I think aluminum companies, uh, and I think Alcoa probably has a bid here. Um, I love gold, uh, and we've forgotten about uranium, which now you're back at the, the bottom end of the range over the last six months, and we, we couldn't stop talking about uranium for months. I'm still interested in uranium just because the market's not. I, I think you've got dynamics here which are long-term and structural, and there are reasons to own some of these things, and, and you should not treat the entire asset class the same way. Just quickly, BK, mm-hmm. who do you believe Ed Morse or Pioneer when it comes Ooh. to oil price forecasts? I, I, you know, with all due respect to Ed, because he's he's a great analyst, I'm going to go with Pioneer because I think there's a structural issue going on in the oil market. All right. Coming up, retail getting wrecked as Target plummets nearly 25%, but it wasn't the only name to take a hit. So we are checking in on the option fits to see how traders are playing the group. More on that next, plus trouble in the transports, the group handy in its worst day in two years. So where do they head from here? We got the details and Fast Money comes right back.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Target wasn't the only retailer feeling the pain today. Costco dropping more than 12 percent to notch its worst day since 2003. It's fifth worst day ever. One option trader is betting this is just the beginning of bigger losses. Tony Zhang joins us with the action. Tony. Yeah, that's right, Melissa. Target really dragging some of the retailers lower. And Costco today trading almost five times the average daily volume versus what we've seen historically. And one trader is betting that this carnage is not over, buying 800 contracts of the June 370 350 put vertical, paying an average price of about $1.90 for this $20 wide debit spread. And just to put that into context, this trader is risking about $150,000 worth of premium, betting that Costco could decline by another 18% or so by that June expiration. And if he is correct, this will pay out about a $1.5 million in profit. That's 10x on the money that he's risking on this particular trade. Jeff, how do you feel about Costco? Well, listen, we're, we're trying to feel our way through exposure to the consumer, right? And, and I, even after some of the carnage that we've seen, maybe especially after some of the carnage that we've seen, if you haven't owned a name like Costco or Walmart, now maybe is the time to take a look because I would certainly rather be there than in pure retail. You know, look at the way a Costco or a Walmart tends to behave against the ISM manufacturing index. You know, they move in in opposite directions. The economy slows these companies tend to outperform. So if you have to be long and you're looking in retail, I would actually rather a Costco than you know, something like a Macy's or, or something pure retail. I mean, they've got membership, so the, the customer base seems to be a little bit stickier. In an inflationary environment, Costco may be perceived as giving, I mean, if you're buying a pallet of paper towels, you're going to get some sort of a discount on them, BK. I, I mean, you would hope so, right, if you're buying a full pallet. You know, I, I think here's the thing, though, right? And, and I, some people have to be long. But if you don't have to be long, why even touch these things? Wait, these things are going to get bombed out. I know down 12 percent. I'm certainly not going to be somebody who shorts this down 12 percent. But I don't know. I think you got to wait and see how bad the damage is and how much demand destruction there is before these things become even touchable. All right. For more options, action. Oh, Tony, by the way. Thank you, Tony Zhang. For more options, action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Transport's handing in its worst day in nearly two years. What the weakness means for the market. We'll discuss that next. Plus, tech's turmoil continues. And chartmaster Carter Worth is hitting the key levels to find out where the Nasdaq heads from here. He will join us in just a few. More Fast Money right after this. News alert here on Melvin Capital. Leslie Picker joins us now on the Fast Line with a story. Leslie. Hi, Melissa. I just wanted to share, um, I received from a source a letter from Melvin Capital to investors announcing that that fund is winding down. It plans to return capital to all of its investors. They say in the letter, uh, uh, founder and chief investment officer Gabe Plotkin saying that the past 17 months has been an incredibly trying time for the firm. And for their investors, they've given everything they could. But more, more recently, that has not been enough to deliver the returns they should expect. If you recall, he's referring to the past 17 months, which um, last year in January saw that fund um, have significant declines relative to a uh, short position um, and short exposure to GameStop. And, of course, it got caught up in that whole frenzy about uh, 17 months ago, as he puts it, as well as some other wrong way bets, never fully able to recoup those losses, declines last year. 
declines this year as well. However, I'm told that the fund, uh, since inception, they did have about a 12% net CAGR inception through 1231 of 2020, but performance year-to-date is down 23% through the end of April. So uh, news today, Melvin Capital is winding down. It is returning capital to investors. They've included a schedule uh, by which to do that. Uh, they had been weighing a bunch of other options for the fund, in, in, including restructuring it and starting over and beginning to charge performance fees again. But then they saw some uh, investors rebuke that idea. So this appears to be kind of their decision after talking with investors. They have decided, Melissa, indeed, to wind that fund down. All right. I feel like this is not the last we'll hear of Gabe Plotkin. Uh, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Trouble in the transports here. The Dow transportation average down almost 7.5%. Its worst day since June 2020. And all components ending the day in the red. The index led to the downside by Old Dominion and Avis. Both down more than 12%. J.B. Hunt, Expeditors International, Landstar system seeing big declines. So, you know, go back to Dow theory. <laughs> is this bad news for the broader economy, BK? I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen the trucking index roll over before this, the kind of the, the underlying index here where you saw freight loads start to drop. You saw the prices of, of renting a truck start to drop weeks ago. So it's not necessarily surprising, but I think it does say something about the economy where you had this massive inventory build because everybody was concerned about supply chains. And now all that inventory is sitting there. And we've seen it with the retailers. They can't sell the inventory that they wanted. So, yeah, I think this does have bigger a read-through to the rest of the economy. Yeah, the, the market always tells you what's happening in the next six months. And the market tells you, to BK's point, that the market is slowing down. But when you look at Avis, a, a rent-a-car company, the, the biggest input, the biggest metrics that they're priced on is the used car fleet. So when you start to see that rolling over, you know that people aren't chasing their tail on the economy any longer. And I think it's a sign of, of, of worse things to come. Coming up, the Nasdaq dropping nearly 5% today as the tech uh, trouble continues. So is there more pain ahead? Carter Worth will join us to tell us what the charts say. More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Nasdaq sinking nearly 5% today as big tech continues to get beaten down. But is there more pain to come? Let's bring in the chart master, Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what do you think? Well, it's, uh, what, what do we say? It's pretty unhappy. Let's, I think we'd all agree on that. Uh, before we look at the charts, I mean, we know that the broadest aggregate we have, right, the Russell 3000, which represents 98% of the investable capital in the United States, is down only 20%, a little bit more. But basically, you're talking about half the stocks in the index have lost 35% or more. So it's been going on for a while. Hard to know where it ends. Let's try to figure it out. Let's look at a chart or two. First, the NASDAQ, which is the leading light. Remember, the NASDAQ 100 index completed 13 consecutive years of positive total return at the end of last year. No index has ever done it. And this year is the year that record will end, to be sure. So what do we have? A perfect head and shoulders top. No other way to draw the lines. Look at the second chart. We have retraced exactly, and these things don't have to be this exact, but sometimes they are, 50% of the move uh, from the lows of COVID. Does it have to stop at 50%? No. Could it be 52? But let's look at where it might stop. Third chart. So that first line there is the 50% retracement. And, and uh, were you to sink further into support or go all the way down, the lower line is the high to the penny before COVID hit. 
The midpoint is 1080. That would be another um, sort of seven to 10% down from here. And uh, why not? Uh, it's anybody's guess, but I think the important thing is every indications are that there's more to come. More to um, come. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, so I, I definitely want to ask you before we run out of time, Carter, about Walmart and Target and the damage being done to retail and whether you think that damage could be contained at this point. Well, we have some charts here for those too, but the main thing to say is that when you get reset like that, it's one thing to go down in an orderly way. When you have a drop in gap, right? It's just like when you get a heavy volume up thrust in gap, you've been re-rated because of an earnings beat or FDA approval or, or, or you're being bought out. When you drop in gap on volume that's eight and tenfold, um, the worst day for each of those two stocks in 1987, you don't recover from that quickly. And then there's this, and this is the most important thing. The lowest beta stocks in the market were hit the hardest. You're talking about, you know, Campbell's Soup and Mondelez and Schmucker's Jelly. These stocks with betas of basically half the market were down seven, eight, nine percent today. So think about that. If your beta is 0.5, in principle, you go down or up half of the market. So you go up less than the market or when it's up and you go down less. So low beta names crushed. There's an old expression, everyone knows it, they get to the generals last. It used to be General Motors, General Mills, General Electric, and these very defensive names. Ultimately, I would think this selling is over when they get around to energy. Hmm. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. General Mills, I'll go to you. They're coming for you. Yeah, it looks that way. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's some evidence of indiscriminate selling when some of the low beta stuff gets sold as well. So I, maybe that's a silver lining. Uh, I think at, looking at Apple is very interesting. We're talking about the NASDAQ, the Qs, Apple being the biggest part of that. So very, very quick math here. Before Apple broke down, it was trading at 25 times. The average over the last 10 years is 16 times. Let's say it gives back half of that. So that would be mean Apple's trading at 20 times forward. That's $128 or 10% down from here. The question is, all we've seen right now is multiple compression. If earnings start to get hit, that denominator shrinks, then the, the price needs to come down even more to maintain that 20 times multiple. So could it be 10 times? Could it be 15 times? Sure. It's just trying to help us uh, get oriented in, uh, in this sea of confusion at the moment. But I think that's a reasonable way to think about it. Carter looked at the technicals. Those are some of the fundamentals. All right, up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim. If you buy Amazon here, you're buying it effectively back to 2018 July levels. So in terms of where you can start picking up stocks, Carter used this dynamic of in the context of where they were pre-COVID. I think this is overdone. Jeff Mills. If you want to play some defense, I think you can look in healthcare. Merck, that breakout above 90, I think, is viable, and it's trading at a pretty reasonable multiple. So, Merck. Steve Grasso. SoFi, it was green and a sea of red today, and about a month ago it was trading at $10. I don't see why it cannot get back to that level sooner rather than later. Brian Kelly. You know I always listen to Carter Ward. Everything he says. And I like the idea that he said you got to have the general sell off, which is oil. But look at Triple Q's. He said there's more to go. I think there probably is, too. So Triple Q's is my final trade to sell. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 